We would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Go with me in the Bible today. We're going to be kind of all over the place today, but we're going to anchor in Colossians, the first chapter, verses 11 through 14, is where we're going to bring the primary thought. But we're going to continue our series today on This is Church, and this is part uh, uh, part three of this, which is the church was meant to be relational. And I, I thought it was great the way Jim kicked us off. I thought it was great the way uh, uh, several things that have been said, but, but the church was meant to be a relational organism. It is not a organization. It is an organism. It is a living, breathing thing. Why? Because Jesus called and referred to this as his bride, his church. It is a living thing. Amen? Why? Because it is not made out of stone or wood or chairs. It is made out of uh, of people that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And if you're saved this morning, you're a part of his church. You're a part of the church that he died for. And today, he wants us to realize that that church was meant to be relational. In other words, God has never been a God that wanted to be distant from his people, not in the beginning and not now. He, he never wanted distance between him and his children. In the Garden of Eden, there was a closeness that we will never truly, I believe, understand again till we get to the other side of this, as we were singing just a few minutes ago, that one day we're going to be with him again, and we are going to understand what was lost in that garden, that relationship and that closeness that man had with his creator, his father. And I want you to understand something this morning, and I want this to kind of sink in, that 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 was lost, but it has been restored through the power of the cross. The early church lived every day in in Christian community, in Christian fellowship, in a relational uh, relationship with God and with each other. In Acts 2.46, we see that. Also, it is echoed in Hebrews uh, 3.13. They encouraged one another. The Bible says every day they lifted up one another. And I want you to understand two, two true marks of what church is, it should be a place of encouragement, and it should be a place where we lift up one another. And there are, it should be a place of truth, and we're going to get into that probably next week or the week after, but today, it is. I want you to emphasize this must be a place of connection with God and with each other. This must be a place where I truly discover what it means to be in the family of God, or as we refer to it in this church, as the forever family of God. Why? Because you stuck with everybody that's saved forever. We're going to be together in God's wonderful creation, uh, new creation together, and I am thankful for that. In other words, the lifestyle, the life or the lifestyle of the church changed drastically, did you realize, from what it was found in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. It changed radically uh, when the conversion of the, uh, of the Roman Emperor Constantine in the year th- uh, 313 AD, there was a shift in how church was approached in, thir- uh, in 313 AD. In other words, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, converted to Christianity, but there was a problem. Constantine still liked being in charge. 
He still liked being an emperor. He still liked being the guy who called the shots. And so he intervened in the running of the church or in the workings of the church. And the church began to become something that it was never intended to be. The church began to become a, 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 a organization instead of an organism. It began to become something that was lifeless and it began to become full of, of legalism and politics. And it began to be a place where people jockeyed for position and tried to step up on one another to be seen and it became a place where, where, where it was about man and not Christ being lifted up. I want you to understand as the church uh, was being built up by the Roman Empire, it was degressing in its spiritual power and it was de degressing in the way that God would manifest his glory. Up until this point, miracles were not something that happened uh, every now and then. Miracles were witnessed on a daily basis in, a, in every situation. But once the church became something it wasn't supposed to be, once it began, became the identity of man instead of identifying it with Christ, it lost its power. Later on, Paul would write these words and he would say, there, there's those who have a form of godliness. He says, from them, turn away. You know, don't be associated with those who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. I want you to understand this morning, I came to tell you, church, we are not powerless if we have relationship with God and relationship with each other. I take the hand of a mighty God that, that scooped out the oceans with, with, with his thoughts. He, he, he literally spoke into existence the mountains. He formed man of, of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. I take the hand of a mighty God that can do anything, anytime, any place. What kind of God do you serve this morning? I still serve a God that can do the impossible. It is man that has put the limits on God. It is man who has made limitations. It is man and his corrupt theology that has restricted God in what he could do. The construction of official church buildings 300 years after Christ created the church literally called the basilis, which means followed the subsequent difference. It meant, uh, in other words, it was a place for clergy to gather. It was a place for the elite to gather. In other words, it had lost its power. It had lost its presence of God. Relational church community was ceasing to exist. If you wanted relationship with the church, you had to seek it within a structure and not find it anywhere else. Into a place-based, meeting-centered religion is what it became. A place-based. I want you to understand something. If all you ever do is feel God in this place, this building, this address, that's a sad thing because the God I know does not dwell at this address. Amen. He don't have an address here on earth. The whole earth is his address. The heavens are his address. He is the majesty of the universe. He could gather all of it in the, in the palm of his hand and drop it in his eye and it wouldn't even make him blink. He is the God above everything else and I'm here to tell you this morning, he has no physical address. You can feel God's presence here, but I'm here to tell you, you can feel him in your living room. Amen. Well, then why do we gather in churches? Because it's good to be gathered together, the Bible says. The Bible says it's good. And as a matter of fact, in Hebrews, he goes on and says, don't forsake that. 
Don't forsake that. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm thankful for our online church. I'm thankful for those that if, they did, if we didn't have online, but I'm going to tell you, don't let that become an excuse to not have community and fellowship in a forever family. Because it's easy to click it on, but I'm here to tell you, it's also easy to click it off when the preacher gets to the tough parts. Here you got to either walk out or endure. Amen? Amen. Church became non-relational and it became a place-based meeting-centered religion. God showed up at the meetings. That's where God would show up. The biblical foundation of a healthy church is relationship-driven. The evidence of godly Christian character needs to be witnessed all over this world. I was poised to a question the other day uh, that, uh, from someone that had a pastor friend of mine who had been questioned by one of her people said, well, if they don't see the manifestation of the Holy Ghost moving or the Holy Spirit moving, then how will they know they want it? They will know they want it by the fruit of it in our life. Amen. The fruit of it is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance. Those are relational gifts, by the way. When we read Galatians, and this is where we're going to anchor today, we find the, the foundational guidelines on relationships and social, uh, the social context based on godly character. In other words, we find what God intended for his church to be. People are the greatest resource the church has, and if you don't believe that, then you need to rethink your thinking on church. You, look at somebody and say, did you know you are the greatest resource the church has? People are the greatest resource we have. People are, are, are it is, is that new creation in Christ, that relationship with Christ that forms a bond that can be used by the Holy Spirit to change the world. Paul explains early in the book of Galatians or in his letter to, to, to the Galatian church who Jesus is and how the readers have been raised into a new life in him. Our relationship with our Father is truly a relationship that has been restored through the power of the cross. Galatians, the first chapter, verses 1 through 11 through 14. Let's read a little bit of that. Being strengthened with all power. Didn't say some power. Somebody looked to say all power. All power according to his glorious might for all evidence and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the, to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. The very first thing that Paul addresses with the Galatian church is he wants to remind them that they have been redeemed. They have been born again. They have been changed by the power of Jesus. I want you to understand this morning, I am not who I once was because of Jesus, not because of a self-help book, not because I got under the teaching of a great, uh, you know, uh, 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 life coach. I'm going to tell you who I got under the teaching of. I got under the teaching and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures which he gave to us to live by. And I'm telling you, it's a transforming thing when you realize that God is ready to have a relationship with you. You once were in darkness, he told the Galatians, but now you have been brought into the glorious, wonderful light of Jesus. I want you to understand how many of you, you were in darkness at one time, but now you're in the light of Jesus this morning. You can praise him this morning. You can lift your hands in victory this morning. Why? Not because of what you have done, but because of what he did. Oh my goodness. That's the first thing that he wants to establish with them. It is not their doing. It is Christ's doing. 
It is the relationship that was lost has been restored through the redemptive power of Jesus. There is no way you can wash your sins away. There's no way I can wash my sins away. I don't have enough goodness in me. Why? Because my goodness is evil. Your goodness is evil. It is. If you're good, it is because of Jesus. If you're kind, it is because of Jesus. If, you are, if you're empathetic and sympathetic with the, with the world that's hurting around us, it is because of Jesus. I'm here to tell you, let no man boast in anything but Christ this morning. When we begin to lift up Jesus, I believe the power of Jesus is going to flow through this church like it never has before. I don't want to have a form of Jesus. I want to have the real thing. How about you? Moving through us working through us. Now, some of you have heard of such a thing as new Coke, but some of us lived through those days. Now, the reason some of you know new Coke is because of the show Stranger Things. And I, I know my kids were like, I would like to try new Coke. Well, I'm going to tell you, just get you a Pepsi, pour out half of it, fill it up with water. That's new Coke. <laughs> Nasty stuff. Oh, my goodness. But probably one of the most genius marketing schemes ever was because they come back out with classic. Okay, Coca-Cola classic. Some of us have suffered a gospel that has changed the recipe. Oh, God, help me preach. We've made it more palatable. It's too strong, so we're going we're gonna to mix it and water it, and we're going to create a gospel that people can, can drink easily. And I'm here to tell you it is destroying this world around us, this watered-down version of the gospel. I don't want no new gospel. How about you? I want the classic. I want the real thing because it's the real thing that changed my life. It's the real thing that invaded my heart. It's the real thing that, 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 that caused me to realize that is there is still power in the blood of Jesus. I know we don't sing a lot of old songs in our church anymore, but there's still a, a song that I'll, ever, I'll break out in every now and then. There's wonder-working power. How about that? In the blood of Jesus. There's power, power in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus will never become outdated. It'll never be a gospel that will not be effective. It is the blood of Jesus that will wash away the dirtiest sin and the most nastiest heart and spirit will become out of the blood white as snow. Oh my goodness, today I'm telling you God doesn't want to just make you better. He wants to do a total reconstruction of who you are. He wants to create a brand new life for you. He wants the old things to pass away and a new life to begin. I wonder if anybody's ever wanted a clean slate in this room. I wonder if anybody's ever needed a new life. Amen. Mm. I'm going to preach. I don't want some refurbished life. I want a renewed, restored life. Mm. What's amazing to me is mm. now, if you like new Coke, I'm sorry, the altar's open. I want the genuine thing in my life. I don't want this new package Jesus that's being sold by the, oh, God, help me. It's powerless. It's powerless. I'm going to tell you the new package Jesus is powerless when you got cancer and you need it healed. 
But I'm here to tell you today, cancer can be healed, amen, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And I'm not preaching to people that think that's some made-up story. There's people in this congregation whose cancer has been touched by the power of Jesus, and it is no more. I've been, I'm sitting here with people who got lung function back by the power of Jesus. I'm sitting here with people who have been healed, restored, made whole, blind eyes open. You say, oh, what are you talking about? I'm here to tell you this church is full of people who have received healing in their physical bodies. What I know? that because I've witnessed it with my own eyes and I've heard it with my own ears. What are you saying? It didn't happen with some new Jesus. It happened with the genuine blood-bought gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gospel says that he wants a relationship with me. He wants to know me. Some of us need to know him. Well, I'm afraid of what he'll say if I know him. I'll tell you one thing he'd say to you right now without a shadow of a doubt. I love you. That's what he'd say. Amen. Paul then goes on to explain the implications of this beautiful truth of transformation, how the old way of life is given over to the new way of life and the evidence is seen through Christ in Galatians, the third chapter, verses 5 through 11. He covers relationships in our marriage, family, church, and friendships. Verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. On, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must, go, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. See that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or slave, free, but in Christ all and is in all. We must put to death the things of the flesh, verses 5 through 6 of Galatians 3. The reasoning behind this is because the wrath of God is not delayed, but it is coming. You don't hear a lot about the wrath of God coming. We hear a lot about the love of God, and I believe in the love of God, but I'm telling you, the wrath of God is coming to this world. The wrath of God is going to come to this world, and when the wrath of God comes, it is going to be worse than any movie has ever tried to depict. And it's coming to this earth. I don't want to hear that on a Sunday. Well, you're in the wrong church. But the Bible says it's coming upon who? The children of disobedience. If you're saved, you don't have to worry about the wrath of God. But I want to remind you, he is speaking to the church in these passages. We must put to death the things of the flesh. The reason behind this is because the wrath of God is coming against those, uh, those who are disobedient. If we are the children of God, it makes sense to put aside those things that are not like God. 
just makes sense. I can't keep doing the things that are offensive to God and expect to please God. Can't do it. I can't keep repeating over and over the things that are offensive to God. You say, well, there's grace. Yes, there's grace. But I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, there's also a slavery when I'm constantly having to come and get right, constantly having to worry about, can I make it to the, to, to the altar and pray back through? I'm telling you, God is ready for some of us to stand up and become men and women of faith. Amen. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means that I'm putting aside some things of the flesh that have kept me back from being who God wants me to be. Anybody ever been held back by the flesh? I know I have. Anybody recently? I know I have. I'll just go ahead and tell on myself. The things of the flesh will hold us back from being the man or woman of God that he desires for us to be. And that doesn't matter if we're a teenager or if we're in a, 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 a uh, what do we call it, young at heart. The things of the flesh will trip you up and keep you from being that person. God is ready for us to lay aside some things in order for his power to be manifested in this church. And there are some things that are holding us back that need to be laid aside. You say, are you talking to me? Well, if you're asking yourself that question, I probably am. But I want the power of God to flow through this church. How about you? I wonder if there's any, any fathers in this room that want the power of God to flow through their families. If that's you, I want you to just praise him a little bit right now. I want the power of God to flow through my family. I wonder if there's any moms in this room that want the power of God to flow through their family. If, you, if that's you, I want you to. I'm not talking about some make-believe. talking about the real thing. Let me tell you, I love my mom and dad, but before we went to a doctor, we went to Jesus. That was option one. They didn't did not take us to doctors. I don't want you to think we was crazy. I know there's some that say, don't go at all, and then they wonder why God did give us a thing called common sense. I know it doesn't seem like the world has a lot of it. Somebody said, well, if you trusted God, you wouldn't have that headache. Well, I trust that God helped Tylenol come into existence so I wouldn't have that headache, so I take Tylenol occasionally. <laughs> Common sense. Can God touch it? Yes. Has he touched it? Yes. I guess I'd rather take the Tylenol for the headache and have God come through on the big stuff. <laughs> Amen. But we live in a world that needs to understand God needs to be option one for the church. And I'm going to tell you, it didn't matter what happened, didn't matter what went on in my family, you haven't lived till you've had a hot, oily hand put on your head in the middle of the night and a demon rebuked out of your room. You say, what? You don't believe demons are real? Then you don't need to believe in angels. You don't believe that the, that, that, that the Lord is real? I'm telling you right now, there's a real fight going on. It's going on in this room right now for some of our attention. It's going on right now for some of our hearts because God is trying to set some of us free to know what the real power of God is. I went to bed with many of oil-stained pillows where my family anointed me while I was sick and then woke up in the middle of the night when the fever broke hearing my mom and dad praising God for his answer to prayer. 
We need the genuine power of the Lord moving, and it only happens through relationship, putting to death the earthly things, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires. All those things have to be put to death, Paul said. He didn't say played with. He didn't say put aside. He didn't say, you know, uh, uh, just you know, pick it up every now and then. He said you put it to death. When something's dead, it's dead. Amen? Amen? I'll tell you a trick we played on a guy in college. He wasn't too bright. <laughs> and uh, he had a goldfish. And the goldfish died. And so some of us come in there and said, we're going to pray for that goldfish to come back to life. Well, I went and bought a goldfish. <laughs> and I had it in a little film canister. And so while they were praying, I scooped the dead one out with my hand and dropped the live one in. And I went, look, it's a miracle. You say, that's so mean. Well, it was funny. I prayed later. We did tell him what happened. See, the church has used sleight of hand for too long. We need the genuine thing. You can speak to a dead thing all you want, but when it's dead, it's dead, and the only way it's going to live again is if God says live again, and God is never going to look at your old sinful life and tell it to live again. He's going to say, let it be dead. Let it lay there and walk away. Some of us need to put some things to death that have held us back from seeing the power and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit to the level that we desire. In other words, Paul was attacking the hypocritical spirit in verses 8 and 9, remembering uh, you were once walking in the same stuff. Now, I want to make us really clear on this. True relationship realizes that not everybody is where they need to be with their walk with God. And how dare us have a hypocritical spirit when we look at those around us that are struggling with things. I'm not, not talking about that. I struggle with things too, and I try to be very transparent and open with that because we need to remember, Paul said, where we have come from, and we need to remember who rescued us and what he rescued us from. We need to keep that in our minds. But we also need to realize that there comes a time when we lay those things aside and we embrace the new life that God has for us. We embrace the new hope that God has for us, that the old man has been crucified and the new man is alive. What are you saying? I'm going to break it down for you because these are the words of Jesus. No man takes new wine and puts it into old wineskins, but he puts new wine into new wineskins, lest the old wineskin, he says, if you put it in there, it's going to bust and it's going to be broken and you're going to lose the wine and you're going to lose the wine skin. He goes on, he says, no man takes a new piece of, piece of cloth and slows it into a rip on an old garment. He says, lest it shrinks and makes the tear worse. He's saying, you can't, what was he saying? He was saying, you can't put what I'm bringing into an old way of thinking. I want you to understand this morning, God is wanting to pour out a new blessing in you. He's wanting to do a reconstruction of who we are. Church, he's ready for revival to flow out of these walls but it is going to take us saying, God, renew this. Make me ready for what you have. And let this old thing called the sinful man pass away. We all came to the cross on equal ground. He says, there's not Jew nor Greek. 
And he goes on, slave or free, what is he saying? He says, everybody that comes to the cross is in need of a Savior, no matter who they are, whether our sins were great and many or whether our sins were few and small. We were headed to hell without Jesus. We need to remember, oh my goodness, that remember that when we look at those that we're trying to win to Jesus. I want you to understand some of us, when we came to Jesus, our sins were great and many. And we had a lot of weight on us. And we, were, we felt like, oh my goodness, how can God... God forgives somebody like me, but I'm here to tell you it didn't take all the blood that Jesus bled in order to wash your sin away. One drop of that precious blood of Jesus was enough, no matter what you've done or where you have been, to cleanse you completely and set you free of what once held you. But also, I'm telling you, your sins may have been small and few. I talk about that because there's some that come as children to the Lord, and they ain't had time to do a lot of sinning. I got saved when I was eight. I didn't have a lot of sin under my belt when I was eight. How about you? Don't know a lot of eight-year-olds that have a lot of sin under their belt. They haven't done a whole lot of awful things. Maybe a lie here and there. Okay, maybe cheated on a spelling test or two or three. If you know how I spell, all of them. What are you saying? Your sins may have been small and few. But you still were headed to the same place as those who were great and many. It's the great leveling place, the cross of Jesus. And that's what Paul is pointing out. He says the cross is not a place for those who have got it all together. Then come, he said, it's a place for those who don't have anything right. It's a place for those who are a wreck and a mess. It's a place for anybody from any place, from anywhere. We all come in need of the same thing, and that's redemption. I'm here to tell you today, we need to declare to a lost and dying world, we all come to the same cross in need of the same thing. And when you come to the same cross in need of the same thing, you don't care what color the skin is next to you. You don't care what, what side of the tracks that person was born on. You don't, you don't care if they were from a religious home or a non-religious home. You don't care what they've been or what they've done. All you know is your eyes are on yourself and in your need of a Savior to wash your sins away. And so today, no matter where we've been or what we've done, God has come or we've all come to that same place on level ground in need of that same gift that God gives and and Paul says, if you establish that out of that, great relationship forms. If you don't establish that, hypocrisy forms. Who he is, not who I am. What he did, not what I've done. That's what matters. In other words, he wants to empower each of us. He shows us how, in contrast to the world, and its guidelines that our relationships are not based on who we are or where we've come from in church or in our marriages, family, or work. It should be based upon the fact of who Christ is. Galatians 3 verses, uh, ver 3, uh, verses 12 through chapter 4 verse 6 says this, Put on then as, God chosen, cho as God's chosen and holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. See, you thought the world came up with the be kind. No. Paul says if you've been transformed by the, by the same cross as everybody else, then we should do what? We should, be, we should put on a compassionate heart. We should have compassion. We should have kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We need to realize something. If we would apply this in our families, in our church, in in our community, and in all of our relationships with people, what an amazing revival would break out. If we would realize God wants you to have a compassionate heart, God wants you to show kindness, and humility. God wants you to be meek in all situations and have patience. Why bearing with one another? If you got a complaint against somebody, forgive them. I can't forgive that. Well, you will be bound by it when you, if you don't. You will be, not them. You ever had somebody that you felt like they needed to there was unforgiveness there, but they, they didn't know they had offended you. And so it's like, I can't believe them. And you carry it and they don't. You ever seen somebody like that? It happens every day in marriages all over America. If your wife walks through the house with a laundry basket and does not say a word to you, you've done something. You have transgressed in some way. Y'all know it's true. Go ahead, get it out. Wives, if you come in and the house is clean, you did something or they did something. They're trying to make it right. What are you saying? I'm simply saying to you this morning, everybody in this room, if we would show compassion and love and kindness the way that God told us to, it is the breeding ground for a revival. It's called relationship. And the most miserable thing is not to forgive somebody. Why? Because we are so scared that if I forgive somebody, I am going to let them off the hook. I've got a verse for you coming. Just hold on about how they don't get off the hook. I told them Wednesday. You ever heard somebody say, boy, if I could just look into heaven for for five seconds, man, wouldn't that be awesome if I could just see what's waiting for me there? And I told them Wednesday in our class, I said, you know what would really change this world is if God would allow us to see into hell. For just one second. It wouldn't take 10 seconds. It wouldn't take five seconds. I think one glimpse into what hell and the torment and what awaits people for eternity, it would transform us into saying, you know what? I forgive you. I don't care what you've done because I don't want anybody to go there. You would never tell anybody to go to that place if you could see what was there. We need a move of God, and we need the genuine power of God, and it is going to happen through relational ministry. Relationship, first of all, with Christ, and then relationship with each other. We need to be cultivating strong relationships. How do we do that? We talk to one another. Because it is possible to come to church and not know a person in the church. It is possible to come to the church and never associate 
outside of church. I want to encourage you to begin to try to form strong, strong relationships. Now, I want to let you in on a secret. We all live busy lives. So getting together outside of church don't hardly happen uh, with any of us because it's just a hard thing to do. But you know what? That's why we offer certain things in this church for you to be a part of. Like this coming Monday night, we have Fearless going on. Ladies, this is your opportunity to make connections. Don't miss it. Guess what? We've got Man Cave goes on every Tuesday night. Men, this is your opportunity to make connections. Don't miss it. Don't sit there and say how nobody cares and nobody this. There's a verse of scripture that's very powerful that says, if a man should have friends, he must show himself friendly. Stretch out, reach out. We have couples goes on once a month for our married couples in this in this church. We we we've got a lot of things that go on Wednesday nights. We have classes for every age. It's more I, I'm going to tell you, it's more of a connection time than anything with with people of your age and and, and similar to the similar likes. Get to know one another. Why? Because great things happen through powerful connection. And when we have a relationship that is grounded in Christ, great things flow from. But when there's a relationship that's not truly grounded in Christ, you are on uneven ground, and it is going to eventually come back to haunt you. We need a move of God, and that happens through relationship. Now, I'm going to give you a couple more keys, and then we're going to move on. He goes on and he says, above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you have were called in, in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts. He's saying, can you get together, worship God. And whatever you do in, in, uh, do in, in, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father through him. And why? Because empowered people can change the culture of, uh, of a community. We need our culture to be changed in our community. Our culture needs to change to that of a righteous community. Well, how do we do that? Now, I'm going to give you the verses that every man, you better save your amens because I'm going to get you in a minute. But uh, verse 18 says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting to the fitting in the Lord. Now, a lot of people want to stop there, but he goes on in verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children unto wrath, lest you become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincere hearts, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for for uh, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done with everything with no partiality. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, you keep pe treating people the right way, and God will take care of the people that don't treat you right. He'll take care of that end of things one day if you'll just be faithful to the Lord in whatever relationship you're in, whether it's a working relationship, whether it is a marriage relationship, whether it is a friendship, whatever it is, you be faithful to the Lord in it. You do all you can to work that thing out and to be kind and love and, and treat each other right. And he says, and God will take care of the rest. This is the breeding ground for great revival because it goes against culture. Our culture teaches us to be first and do whatever we need to to be first. 
God's culture says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The church culture has an impact on the community when it establishes and maintains true God-based relationships with people. In other words, this kind of relationship takes initiative to meet new people. If you want to see the kingdom of God grow, you've got to expand your circle of people. Willing to initiate conversations and listen to others. That's, that's time-consuming, is it not? But we got to be willing to do that. Show empathy and compassion to the world around us. Display patience and sincerity as those God is working with to grow into maturity. In other words, not everybody is mature in Christ. Not everybody has arrived where they need to be with the Lord, and we need to give God time to work on them. All right? More importantly, look at somebody beside you and say, hey, you got to give God time to work on me. Amen. I started to do it this way because it's a lot of fun. Look at somebody beside you. We will do it this way. Look at them and say, I know you're perfect, but God's still working on me. Amen. Will you stand? Paul goes on to explain how the unity of believers accomplishes the true work of Christ because it is through the unity of believers great things happen. When believers are unified through this kind of relational gospel, amazing things happen. When the church was united, the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. When the church was united, when, when Peter was in prison, an angel come and unlocked his chains and he was set free. When the church was united, the gospel spread throughout the known world in a rapid pace beyond recognition. I'm telling you, it spread faster than anything that has ever hit this world. In other words, they were known within a hundred year span, they had reached the known world. Now, the, there was parts of the world they hadn't known, but I want you to think about that. The gospel... This new thing had reached the entire world within a hundred years at their, or the known world at that time. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that's why the devil has fought so hard to separate families. That's why he has fought so hard to separate friends and to separate churches. That's why you've got churches that have divided over the color of carpet and the seats and, and, and ridiculous things like that. Who cares what, what color the carpet is if you don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit? Who cares what... what, what what goes on if you don't have healing going on, if you don't have people getting saved, if you don't have people getting baptized, if you don't have people being changed by the power and the gospel of Jesus, who cares how it looks aesthetically because it is possible to mimic the most alive church with everything they've got here and not have the power of God that they have. Just because you imitate doesn't bring about the power of God. We need a move of God that can only come through the giving of the Holy Spirit and the giving of the Holy Spirit comes when the church finds itself in one accord. How about you? Do you want God to move? Do you want God to move in your family? Then it's time for us to surrender our selfish ambitions to what God wants. And that comes through confession. That comes through saying, God, it's been too much about me and it's not been enough about you. It's been too much about seeing my way and not your way. So today, God, I surrender everything I am because, God, I know my family's going to need your power, your real power. God, I surrender myself because I know there's going to come a time when I need, I'm going to need your real power in my life. And, Lord, I don't want anything to stop or hinder the power of the Holy Spirit from moving and working in this place.
We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you'd like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.